Welcome to the Digital Euro Podcast by the Digital Euro Association. In this podcast, you will learn about the disruption of technology in the monetary and financial system. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Digital Euro Podcast. My name is Conrad Croft, and I'm Executive Director at the Digital Euro Association. And today, we have two special guests with us, Bonnie Brodsky and David Tessero-Lucas, who are experts in the payments and digital currency space, and also my co-authors of the Digital Euro Association's recent paper, The Future of Machine Money. Before we get started, perhaps a bit of background about our guests. Bonnie Brodsky is a managing consultant at Lippers Advisors. She has worked on issues related to payment system design and strategy, central bank digital currencies, and cross-border payment processing. Previously, she worked as a global macro and capital markets analyst at the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. Welcome, Bonnie. Thanks so much for having me. We also have Dr. David Tessero-Lucas. David completed his PhD in applied economics at the Autonomous University of Barcelona in the fields of digital currency and monetary policy, and has published his research in journals such as the Journal for Financial Stability and the European Journal of Political Economy. He is also a consultant at Lippus Advisors, and during his doctorate, he worked for the BIS and the European Central Bank. Welcome to the show, David. Thank you. It is a pleasure to, to be here. Just to get things kicked off, Bonnie, would you perhaps mind explaining what the motivation behind the drafting of this paper was? Yeah, so, um, you know, just in thinking about um, the motivations for, for, this, for this paper, um, you know, we've seen explosive growth in crypto assets in recent years. Um, and alongside that, of course, we've seen very... Uh, rapid growth in stablecoin uh, issuance and usage. And, you know, there's been a lot of focus on sort of the risks associated with stablecoins um, and with the upcoming Mika um, legislation uh, in Europe, um, we wanted to investigate more, you know, how stablecoins could develop in Europe and in which areas, which use cases, how they might evolve um, and sort of, you know, what opportunities and um, that could bring in terms of driving European digitalization and what, what that could really mean for Europe in the coming decades. Um, and so we felt that, um, you know, one of, one of these uh, areas um, is in fact machine to machine payments. Um, and so that is sort of what motivated the, the research uh, behind this paper. Great. Thanks for that background, Bonnie. Um, and Perhaps let's dive a little bit deeper into uh, the paper now. Uh, David, let's start by discussing the basics. For our listeners who are not familiar with the concept, could you explain what stablecoins are and how they differ from cryptocurrencies? Absolutely. The so-called stablecoins are digital assets that, contrary to traditional non-stable cryptocurrencies, like for instance Bitcoin, seek to maintain a constant value relative to some assets, most commonly the, the US dollar. But also they can seek to maintain this, uh, this value with respect to another fiat currency, can be the euro, the yen, even a, com a commodity or even a different cryptocurrency. 
And here we can differentiate between three different types of stable coins, although it's true that this classification may, may really vary depending on, on the source. But in general, we classify stable coins uh, in these three different types of categories. First, fiat-backed stable coins, which are stable coins that maintain a value relative to a fiat currency. And here we have the examples of Tether or USDC. Non-fiat-backed stable coins, which are the ones that maintain a value relative to a commodity or other type of cryptocurrencies. One example may be Paxos Gold. And the last category is what is known as algorithm stable coins. Nowadays, uh, stablecoins have different use cases. In addition to serving as a gateway into crypto trading, acting as a safe parking space from crypto market volatility, and providing access to decentralized finance, uh, stablecoins also have been used for trying to improve financial inclusion or even to facilitate cross-border payments for the underserved population. Great. Thank you so much, David. Now that we have a bit of a, a fundamental understanding of stable coins and where they're situated in the, the crypto universe, Bonnie, the paper focuses on the possible use of stable coins in the European machine-to-machine economy. Could you explain what machine-to-machine uh, -machine payments are and how they differ from IoT or Internet of Things payments? Sure, absolutely. Um, so the, the machine to machine economy, first of all, um, is one where the smart autonomous networked and economically independent machines or devices act as the participants in the economy, carrying on the necessary activities of production, distribution and allocation with little to no human intervention. Um, this evolving uh, ecosystem will be made possible by the growing number of Internet of Things which refers to the network of devices or items that are embedded with software and other related technologies for the purposes of sending and receiving data to other devices over the internet. Now, IoT devices can execute payments um, and machine-to-machine -machine payments are a type of instant and autonomous IoT payment. Um, so these types of devices can be digital wallets, autonomous vehicles, smart gadgets, um, and so on. And um, this is a really exciting um, aspect of payments that has the potential to grow exponentially over the medium term um, and significantly change, um, you know, the way that we make and receive payments today. Great. Thanks for that, Bonnie. Now that we, you know, we understand the distinction between M2M or machine-to-machine -machine payments and, and IoT or Internet of Things, because we hear about these terms quite often, could you perhaps tell us more about this industry in Europe and why it's important for stablecoins to perhaps play a role in it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, European nations are in a great position to lead the machine-to-machine -machine, uh, economic revolution. Um, so, for example, in Europe, um, we can look at the robotics industry, um, where um, you know, in Western Europe and, and the Nordic European countries um, have the most automated production uh, by region in the world. Um, and in terms of machine-to-machine um, -machine penetration, um, for example, the number of M2M SIM cards on mobile networks per inhabitants, um, many European countries lead. Um, and, um, and we've seen a lot of growth in this area as well. However, at the same time, um, we see, you know, 
countries in Asia, Korea, Japan, China, as well as the U.S., um, you know, also being very competitive in this space um, where Europe is facing some steep competition. Um, in, in the machine-to-machine economy, U.S. companies lead in, uh, in the e-commerce, home automation, and payment platform spaces. Um, Korea, Japan, and China have already experimented with IoT payments in uh, electronics and appliances um, and, and um, sort of hard metal and, and hard machinery. Um, and so European countries, on the one hand, um, really need to seize opportunities stemming from the growth in the machine economy to sort of preserve their leadership and strategic autonomy um, and avoid falling behind in, in, this, in this particular area. Now, what is interesting here is, um, you know, where euro-based stablecoins could play a role. Um, and, you know, in our paper, we explore to what extent Europe could become a global innovation leader if it makes breakthroughs in machine-to-machine payments a key priority. Um, and if you look at the payment options that could enable, enable that, um, the two that come to mind are sort of a well-regulated euro-based stablecoin um, or, of course, a future digital euro. The problem or the potential problem with a digital euro, however, um, is, of course, that it, it's, it won't be available in the near term. So um, we know that the ECB will make a decision about whether or not to go forward with it uh, this fall. Um, but in terms of an actual go live, um, that will still be you know, a few years further in the future. Um, and according to uh, ECB executive board member Fabio Panetta, um, it is unlikely that the digital euro will be programmable or have a focus on machine-to-machine payments, um, at least initially. Um, and so, you know, while we haven't seen sort of a big um, market for euro-based stablecoins um, to date, there are still a lot of tailwinds that could change this with Mika um, coming uh, coming on and giving clarity for stablecoin issuers. As well as, you know, we've seen quite a bit of demand for euro-based stablecoins from U.S.-based issuers, um, which is putting some pressure on the European market to respond with their own offerings. So if you kind of look at all these factors that are um, kind of interacting with each other, we see that, you know, this area of machine-to-machine is a kind of niche area that um, euro-based stablecoins could see see some use uh, going forward. Thanks for shedding a bit more light on the machine-to-machine payment market, as well as uh, how stable coins may be utilized uh, towards the growth in this area f- in the eurozone. Perhaps over to David now. In the paper, we know that there are industry use cases of stable coins or stable coin enabled IoT payments and machine-to-machine payments. Could you perhaps share some examples with our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, the, the current IoT landscape suggests that machine-to-machine payments in Europe are really likely to be developed in a variety of, of industries. One of them, probably the most prominent, prominent one, is the automotive industry. Why? Because right now we are seeing a lot of examples where maybe a connected vehicle could pay directly for gasoline uh, when it has finished refueling. And in the same way, a shipping container could initiate a payment for its own transport. Uh, to enable these payments, it is true that each machine each machine would need or may be associated to a digital wallet from which it may execute the transactions. But 
these are not only the, 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 the use cases for machine-to-machine -machine payments, there are also other, other sectors. For instance, and also related to, to the previous one, uh, it is true that maybe they are going to really benefit the transportation industry, freeing drivers from having to make payments, increasing efficiency in the logistic chains, and avoiding possible human errors by circumventing human authentication each time that a truck, a van, or a car needs to make a payment. And also, it's true that, for instance, the smart home sector is another example of where IoT payments, including machine-to-machine -machine payment, of course, could, could thrive. And they also have promising applications, this kind of, of payments in cloud services. That could be another important uh, sector that we can highlight. And in fact, it is highlighted in the, in the paper. For instance, a computer cloud could pay for online data storage based on, on capacity. And as Bonnie said before, it is relevant to remark here that the European Central Bank has suggested that the, the digital euro will not be programmable and machine-initiating payments will not be a priority use case for this digital euro at the outset, creating therefore a gap that euro-based stablecoins could fill. Thanks so much, David. I think it's very interesting to note the exciting new business models and use cases and that could be fulfilled by stablecoins due to their programmable nature. And it's very interesting uh, to see what the future holds and how these use cases get played out. Are there any potential benefits of using a euro-based stablecoins for IoT and machine-to-machine -machine payments, David? Yeah, absolutely. Let me highlight at this point that the uh, programmability of payments can be enabled either through an API layer on top of an existing payment infrastructure or through a smart contracts via a blockchain or a distributed layer using, therefore, stable coins. So both options, and it is important to mention this, both options have advantages and disadvantages. For instance, the, the main advantage of enabling programmability via APIs is that they can be layered on top of existing payment systems, such as, for instance, in Europe, the ECB's target instant payment system that we all know as TIPS, or even the EVA clearings uh, RT1. However, it is true that there is an increasing potential for system failure if uh, a lot of critical APAs are layered atop one another. Moreover, leveraging instant payment systems such as TIPS and RT1 would not allow for instant settlement. And this is important to mention it, as these uh, systems settle on a deferred net basis, which one could achieve that uh, using directly a Euro-based uh, Euro stablecoin. That's an important difference. Besides, uh, the use of stablecoins and DLT technology could be more efficient and faster than APAs for machine verification purposes, especially in the IoT context, where millions of machines will need to be identified in a very short period of time. Moreover, the use of blockchain technology for smart contracts may be better deter cyber threats since the blockchain is underpinned by cryptography. Thank you, David. Very interesting to understand the underpinnings of the technology and the case for stable coins. Finally, at, in the paper, 
the need for further guidance from regulators to spur machine-to-machine payment growth is highlighted. What kind of guidance do you think is necessary and how can stakeholders work together to achieve this? Bonnie? Yeah, sure, absolutely. So, um, you know, as as we've kind of discussed already, um, we think it's really important um, for policymakers to focus on this area of um, the digital economy to foster European competitiveness. And so therefore there is, um, you know, there are ways in which regulators and policymakers can provide guidance to the market um, to sort of foster growth in these areas. Um, but, you know, while there is, there's great potential, um, you know, there are a certain number of policy questions and regulatory issues that must be overcome. Um, and a lot of these are not necessarily easy to come up with solutions for or, uh, or solve. Um, so for example, um, you know, regulators should be aware of um, the need um, and current lack of a sort of machine identity framework. Um, so what, it, what, what do I mean by machine identity? So just like uh, with humans, uh, you know, machines, um, for them to safely and securely make and receive payments, it is imperative to establish standards around machine identity, either through digital certificate or some kind of uh, key or credential, um, which could be used for authentication within the payment process. Um, you could imagine this being extremely important if you're talking about, um, you know, payments that are being executed with partial or no um, human involvement. Um, as well, um, you know, th- there's there's been a great effort and great progress with respect to the Mika framework, um, providing regulatory clarity around the issuance of stablecoins in the EU. Although there's, you know, it's not final final at this point, but there are still some aspects, um, you know, e- even with Mika um, that have yet to be addressed um, within the draft legislation, such as, for example, the the treatment of unhosted wallets. Um, and most machine-to-machine uh, payments will be occurring uh, via unhosted wallets. Um, in addition, um, you know, at, at least at the time of um, that we're speaking right now, uh, recording this podcast, um, the regulation of M2M payments is not even fully covered within the existing um, digital payments um, and data privacy regulatory framework um, in, in Europe today. So, for example, payment service providers um, must comply with strong uh, customer authentication um, and GDPR, um, but, you know, it's not clear how that these should be applied in a machine-to-machine context. Um, so further clarity is, is needed on this. Um, and then lastly, the um, a, a big issue with um, stablecoins in general is the potential for market fragmentation issues um, to arise. Um, and, you know, for example, you can imagine if there are multiple different um, types of uh, stable coins that are being used um, and if they are not interoperable in between them, this could be a big barrier in terms of adoption and usage. Um, so therefore it's, you know, very important for uh, European regulators and policymakers to encourage the adoption of common industry or EU level standards um, uh, in terms of um, 
promoting the interoperability of, of stable coins. And, um, you know, that's going to require a lot of co industry cooperation and the support of regulators will really be needed there. Um, of course, there are there are other issues as well, um, but these these are some of the few that that we covered in the paper and that we thought were most pressing for policymakers to address. And uh, with that said, thank you so much, Bonnie and David, for sharing your insights with us today. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show, and to our listeners, we hope you found this episode informative and helpful. Head over to the Digital Euro Association's website to download the paper. And reach out to the Digital Euro Association via Twitter, LinkedIn, and our website to stay up to date with the latest news and discussions around CBDCs and stablecoins worldwide. Be sure to tune in next time and join us in the quest to shape the future of digital money. <laughs>